Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this building and this place that we can come and gather and worship you. Father, be with me today as I present your word. Help me to do it accurately. Be with those sitting here today to hear the word and apply it to their lives. May the Holy Spirit work amongst us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I entitled this morning's message, The Great Question Is, Are You Qualified? I'm a sports fanatic, so this last couple of weeks have been enjoyable to me to watch the Winter Olympics. And you look at all these athletes and how much time and preparation goes in to competing for this brief moment in time. Many of them spend years preparing for that event. And to get there, they had to qualify. They either had to compete against other people from their own country or post a certain time in which would qualify them to compete. This word qualify, we understand. If you want a job, there are certain qualifications that you need to have. Uh, some courses that you want to take have prerequisites. Other cl- classes you've had to already take, which qualifies you to take the class. And I'd be remiss for an opportunity to talk about my favorite sport, NASCAR. Now, I have a brother-in-law who is my, one of my race car buddies, uh, my wife's brother. And when he heard that I was going to be preaching today, he sent me an email and said, This is it. I got your sermon for you. Tell him, open the Bibles. Say, boogity, 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 amen. For those of you in racing, you understand that. But I thought I might need to do a little more than that this morning. In a NASCAR, you have to qualify for the race. Well, they changed the rules a couple years ago, and the top 35 in points are pre-qualified. They have to run a lap just to see where they'll start, but they're in the race. But the next seven are the go or go homers. They have to qualify on speed. And only the top seven get in. Everybody else goes home. They have to qualify. So when Pastor Van said that he was going to take a week of vacation and asked me if I'd be willing to fill in the pulpit, and I said yes, I got to thinking, what qualifies me to stand here and open the word to you? And I thought further, what qualifies us, any of us, to teach a Sunday school class, adults or kids. What qualifies you to sing in the choir? What qualifies anyone to work in the nursery, to teach junior church, to work at the summer day camps, to set up, prepare, serve, and clean up after any of our church socials? That's the question I want to look at today. And if you have your Bibles, turn them open, please, to John chapter 21. This is the last chapter in the book of John. And the setting here, being the last chapter, is Jesus has already risen. He's already appeared to Mary and to Peter and then to the disciples in the room that was locked. And a week later, he appeared a second time to the disciples. This time Thomas was with them. And you remember the story of putting his fingers in the hole so that he would believe. Well, in John chapter 21 we have the third appearance of Jesus to his disciples. 
John is set up pretty interesting in that at the beginning, in chapter 1, the first 18 verses, is kind of a prelogue. It's setting up the deity of Christ, who Jesus Christ is. He is the Word. He is God. He was with God. And then the rest of chapter 1 deals with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then from chapters 2 to 11, he has the signs that Jesus is the Christ. They're miracles. But he calls them signs because he's specifically pointing how these show that Jesus is the Christ. And then we have the Passion Week, chapters 12 to 19. One week long. Begins with Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey with everybody yelling, Hosanna! And then that week ends with Christ being crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb. But the book doesn't stop there, does it? Because then we have chapter 20. The resurrection of our Lord. What a glorious thing that is, that he conquered death bodily, and that we know that we will have life eternal if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And then just before chapter 21, at the end of chapter 20, John gives the purpose statement for the reason that he wrote the Gospel of John. John 21, 31. I'm sorry, John 20, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of Man, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. The book of John is evangelical. The book of John is to show Christ that you might know who He is, accept Him, and have life everlasting. And that brings us to chapter 21, which is kind of an epilogue, the final comments, the things that want to draw importance of what we've heard. So let's look at chapter 21, and bear with me as I read. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning of coals, and there was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples, after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen. This is a critical passage for the church and its leaders and its workers. It has one great lesson. Love is the basic essential for ministry. Without love, ministry counts for nothing, at least in God's eyes. But I really want to focus this morning on verses 15, 16, and 17. And I've kind of broken it down into four points today. My first point is the requirement to qualify. As we pick it up in verse 15, the meal was finished. They're kind of sitting and talking. And I have four thoughts for what's about to happen. First, realize... <clears throat> that Jesus has already met with Peter. That's indicated in Luke 24, 34, and also in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 and 5. I will read 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Peter has already been with the Lord. He has seen the Lord. We don't have much recorded about this first private meeting. Most commentaries agree that it happened on Easter Sunday earlier in the day because that evening is when he met the disciples in the locked room. Speculation, logic tells us that they probably had a conversation about his denial and returning him to service, the forgiveness that needed to take place. Peter had already asked for forgiveness. We, the truth is we don't know. What we do know is that they had a private meeting. So we want to understand that that had occurred. However, the second thought 
is that Peter's leadership needed to be reinforced publicly. After all, his denial of Christ was public. The disciples knew it. Many others knew it. And if he is to be the rock of which Christ is going to build his church, he needs to publicly be reinforced and reinstated. Third is the questions that Jesus was asking Peter. He was qualifying him to serve in the ministry. Love is the qualifier. And then fourth, Jesus was teaching the basic essential for ministry. No one, even Peter, with all his charismatic abilities, as well as he was liked, with everything that he had, he could not bear fruit, godly fruit, unless he loved God and he loved the flock. That was the requirement. Love, the love chapter in the Bible we call Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to read just the first three verses from that because I think it sets it up so well to understand the importance of love. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the qualifier. So now here in verse 15, Jesus turns his attention and his focus upon Peter. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the passage calls Peter by his full name. I find that interesting. I know growing up in my home, when your full name was used, that middle name came out, you better snap too. There was something of importance. That was an intention getter. And I can tell you it's true in my home as well. When I use one of my kids' middle name, it draws a special attention and focus to that moment. Not only for them, but all the other brothers and sisters want to know what's coming next too. I think that is a point here as well. It was an attention getter. It is, pay attention here, what's coming next is something of importance. At least more importance than the normal things. You see, once you put the attention and he gets that attention and he stresses what is to be said next, he then calls him by the formal name, the son of John or Jonas. And I think this reminds Peter of where he came from. He was the son of a fisherman. He was a fisherman. Not a well-known person, not wealthy making it okay, but kind of of basic, humble origins. But for the past three years, he's been in the ministry with Jesus Christ. For the past three years, he has grown in his knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. In the past three years, Jesus himself told him, you are the rock that I will build my church on. See, it's a point that all that we are is because of Christ, not of ourselves. And he wanted to make sure that Peter heard, this is what I'm about to say, 
This is who you are. Remember that apart from God, you can do nothing. But in God, you can do all things. One of the reasons I can stand before you today and present the word is because I love my Lord Jesus. And I love these people here. God gets the glory for whatever happens. It's his word. But it's through his strength that empowers me. It's through his strength that empowers you to do and to serve and to act. Why is it his strength? Because he's the one that deserves the credit and the glory for what is to come. So love is the great qualifier. So with that love, love is an action word. It draws us to my second point, which is commitment. It is a commitment. And there we're going to take a look at these three questions and the difference of the three questions. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Question one. Who do you love the most? The Lord or these? It's unclear what is meant by these in the passage. Perhaps he was pointing to the other disciples around, indicating brothers, family, relatives. Do you love me more than anybody else? Jesus is asking. Am I number one here? Perhaps he was pointing to the fish and the nets and the boat, his career, his possessions, his profession. Do you love me more than anything? More than possessions or career? Perhaps it's unclear because it applies to everything and everyone. See, Christ wants to be first. He demands to be first in our life. A man cannot have two masters. He he will serve one and hate the other or hate one and serve the other. God wants us to serve him. He needs to be first above everything else. And the question here to Peter and the question to us, do you love God more than these? It's easy at first glance to say yes. But especially in our culture where things Sporting events, other commitments are so easily put in front of God. Can we truly say God is first in our lives? That takes a commitment and it takes something that you constantly work at. Question two, verse 16. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The second question is, do you love God with God's love? You see, Jesus used one word, but Peter used a different word. Jesus used the Greek word agape. It's kind of the highest form of love. And we'll look a little closer at that word in a few moments. But Peter continued to use the Greek word phileo, a brotherly love, a passionate love, a love of the heart. Question 3, verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Question three is how genuine and loyal is your love? Now Jesus Jesus uses the term phileo. He kind of descends to the human level of love, that passionate love, that desire, the love of the heart. And he wants to know, do you have that love of the heart? Again, qualifying Peter. In verse 18, he goes on to assure Peter that he would love, that his love would reach this agape level. He would be called upon, Peter would, in his life, to preach the love of God. And he had to preach that love of God to people who did not care to hear it. He was called to preach that love of God to people who would act violently against it. And eventually... Peter had to demonstrate that deep level of love by the sacrificing of his life for the service of his master. You see, this was a new kind of love to the disciples. Up to this point, phileo was the greatest love known, a brotherly love, an emotional love. It was the willingness to die for a brother. But what Christ was teaching now gave new meaning to the Greek word agape. It raised it to a different level. It was willing to give and die, even for an enemy. This is demonstrated so clearly to us in God's love for us. John 3.16 For God so loved, agape, for God so agape the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Self-sacrificing, even for his enemies. Definitely the highest level. Keep open to John here, but if you would turn to Romans 5. I think it gives us some clear points about agape love. In Romans 5, starting at verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Agape love is Christ dying for people who have no power. Agape love is Christ dying for the ungodly. Agape love is Christ dying for sinners like you and like me. Agape love is Christ dying even for the enemies of God. That's a powerful love. That's agape love. But you see, the disciples had trouble understanding this at the time because the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. As we read in verse 5, this is by the Holy Spirit's pouring out. They haven't received the Holy Spirit like we have today. How blessed are we to have the Holy Spirit live in our hearts if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? It teaches us, it pours out the love of God that we can experience if we choose to, within us. That's why the disciples had a little bit more trouble with this than what we ought. 
My third point is it leads us to serving in the church. Three times Peter was charged to feed and tend the flock of God. Scripture clearly identifies that the lambs and the sheep are the flock of God and they represent the church. Jesus is talking about serving now in the church. Acts 20.28, for reference, clearly points out that these lambs are the church. So it's undeniable what he's referring to here. So if we take a little closer look, the flock of God is made up of both lambs and sheep. The word lamb, arnia, is used in this context in John only, in the one time only in the plural tense. Everywhere else it's singular. It's referring to the babies, the little ones, the ones with special needs. Clearly for us it's referring to new converts, new believers, those who are young in their faith, those who need a little extra special attention. We should be looking and helping the new believers. We should be growing up and discipling one another. That's important. The sheep, probatia, is moving forward. It also references age. It's the maturity. It's the mature believers, those who've been in the church for a while, those who know and have been walking with God. See, the church is made up of both. So the ministry of the flock is twofold. The first command is to feed, to give food, teaching both the milk and the meat of the word. See, the word here used to feed is the exact same word when it's used for sheep as it is when it's used for lambs. What that means is both new converts and experienced Christians are to be fed off the same word. That's God's word. The great thing about God's word is it's a living word. It's a powerful word. You can read, and many of you know that you can read the same passage ten times and get ten different things from it. Learn something new each time that you read from it. That's maturity. That's growing. But the tenth time that you read it, you know a whole lot more than you did the first time that you read it. That's the maturity part. But we're feeding on the same word. And that's what we're to do. You know, sheep are an interesting breed. I've never tended sheep. I had an uncle who did. Some of you probably know more about sheep than I do. But the best thing I can tell you, they're a dumb animal. Kids or shepherds have to go out in the field at night or in the morning, I guess it's at night, to lift them up. Because if they fall down, they have trouble getting up on their own. And they'll lay there and die. So somebody has to go out and help pick them up. They have a very poor sense of direction to know where they're going. And they can stand in a little bit of water and be too afraid to move. You know the Bible calls us sheep? It's kind of humbling. You and me. Because we do need to grow and we need to learn. And when we compare ourselves to God's knowledge, no matter how much we think we have, we're kind of dumb. But God teaches us and grows us and loves us. And that's what it's about is that love. We need to pray for Pastor Van. We need to pray for the elders of our church as they are our shepherds here at the flock. But I want to put before you that if you're involved in ministry, if you serve in any capacity, in some regard, you are a shepherd as well. If you are teaching 
Sunday school to kids, you are shepherding their hearts. If you're teaching adults, you are acting in a shepherd role. Even if you're serving on the sides, helping serve food, cleaning up, there are eyes on you that you may not know. And it's important for you to conduct yourself and act the way that God would have you act. Be shepherds, as God has called you to be. My fourth point is love agape style. The difference of agape and phileo love. Phileo love involves the tender affections, the deep feelings of the heart, the precious love of those near and dear, that brotherly love that would die for its brother. See, I've been married 23 years, soon to be 24 in June. I can remember when I wasn't married, though. I remember the first time I laid eyes on my to-be wife. We met in college, and I had a roommate who was in band. And because you're in band, you have practices before school even starts. So he shows up a couple weeks early to campus. Once he's on campus, the dorm room's open, so I could get into the dorm room. So I did, because I also know that the freshman group comes in a couple weeks early as well. And therefore, I get an earlier opportunity to meet the freshman girls. So it was a little calculating on my part. Well, my roommate had started dating a girl, freshman, and one morning we went to breakfast. I went to breakfast with him, and he was meeting her, and she brought her roommate along. Wow, wow, wow. It was Anne. Soon to become my wife. We dated for two years in college, and I can tell you that my filial love for her grew and grew. My heart desires, my emotion, my passion grew more and deeper as the time went on. Well, after I graduated from college, we got married in June. Five years later, we had our first child, Evan. A couple years later, we had our second. A couple years later, we had our third. Ten years later, we had our fourth. (laughs) And I love my kids, and they're sitting here. And I have a great love for them. But it does not compare to the love I have for my wife. Now, 23 years later, I think I'm embarrassing her, sorry. I didn't tell her I was going to do this. My love for her has grown from a filial love to an agape love. A love of choice, a love of will, a love that encompasses everything. The emotions as well as the choice. You see, the truth is, Over 23 years, there's been a day or two that I haven't wanted to love that woman. And there's been a dozen or two that she hasn't wanted to love me. But we make a choice. And it's a deep choice. It's a deep love. It's that love you grow old with. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter. You choose to look for the best. You know what's good. And you know how compatible you are. That's the love that God's talking about here, this deep, committed love. It encompasses both. You see, even the enemies of God 
need to hear the gospel to have an opportunity for salvation. And I praise God for that because there was a day that I was an enemy of God. Understand, though, that Jesus uses both words. He uses agape in the first two questions, and he uses phileo in the third question, because he wants all of us. He wants our choice. He wants our will. He wants our emotions. And emotions are a good thing, because they came from God. They just need to be directed appropriately. So the question is, do you agape God? Well, let me ask you five questions in closing. Agape love is a choice of the mind and the heart, of will and emotions. John 3.16, for God so loved, agape the world, is a clear, clear picture of that. Also, Matthew 22, 37 and 38, tells us the greatest command. Jesus replied, love agape, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So Jesus is asking you today, do you love me? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? You know, at first time, oh yeah, I love the Lord. It's easy to blow that off. Think about it. What's in your life that's before God? We need to constantly be cleaning our houses to make sure that God has the rightful position in our lives. Do you love God? Number two, agape love is a seed that can only be planted by Christ. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5 that we read. We need Christ. He gives us our purpose. He gives us our meaning. He gives us our hope. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you cannot experience the agape love that I'm talking about. But that can change for you today. If you're sitting here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and rose again, conquering death, that you might have life and have it more abundantly and have all of your sins, not in part, but in all and whole, forgiven. You need to do that today. Today is the day. Don't let that go by. Perhaps there are things in your life that you've let creep in ahead of God that you value over God, and you need to deal with that. Today is the day. I was reading on the Internet about the Olympics the other day, And there was a speed skating event that took place. And they have qualifying heats. And I believe in this one they were taking two people from each heat. The winners of the front two finishers of each heat qualified for the medal round. The round where they would skate for the actual medal. Everybody else that had skated that hadn't qualified was ranked according to speed, their time that they posted. And they would have what they called alternates. So if somebody got hurt or couldn't compete for some reason, they would have a list, an order, of which they would be able to pull somebody into the race that hadn't previously qualified. Well, it happened that a guy hurt himself and had to withdraw from the race. So 
immediately, they call the first alternate. But he has an issue, and he cannot race. They call the second alternate. He, too, is too far away to make it where he's at and cannot race. They call the third alternate. He's even left the country. He never thought it would get to that point. They call the fourth alternate. Unheard of. And they called him and they called him. But his cell phone was turned off. By the time he got the message, they had run the race one man short without him. Jesus is calling you. Will you answer the call? Or will you ignore it and leave your cell phone off? Jesus is calling you to clean up your life and to do the things that you ought to do. Will you answer that call? Or will you leave the country? You have choice. Serving God is a choice. Loving God is a choice. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. In order to experience the agape love, it can only be poured out through the Holy Spirit living in you, which happens at the moment of salvation. You need to be saved. You need to be right with God. Third, agape love holds believers together. See, for three years, Christ himself had been holding the apostles together. If you turn back a couple of, verse, a couple of chapters in John, John 13, Jesus now gives a new command. It is a command to agape one another. John 13, 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love, agape, one another, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Do you love your fellow believers? It's important that we demonstrate that love one to another. I've been here for a little over a year now. And I can tell you that I love Fellowship Bible Church. And I love the people of Fellowship Bible Church. And I know that at least most of you love me. And I've experienced that. Even this past week, all the prayers that have gone up for me, I know, I've felt them. People have told me they've been praying for me with being sick. Struggled with my voice on Wednesday. I'm starting to struggle a little bit now. I think it'll finish though. I was supposed to pick up the Honduras team, the last part members coming back at midnight last night. And I had at least four people call me and say, let me do that for you. You don't need to be going out, especially preaching the next day. That's a demonstration of love. And I thank you for that. So my challenge is love one another. It's important that we love one another. Fourth, agape love seeks opportunities to do good to all men. Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Did you catch the difference? Opportunity. Seeking the opportunity. Don't just wait for things to happen. Look for an opportunity. Look for ways 
that you can demonstrate love to one another. Look for ways that you can serve the body. Look for ways to engage and be part of the ministry. Look for ways to encourage those around you that you could lead them to Christ. Be on the lookout. Do you seek opportunities? Do you seek opportunities to do good? And the fifth question, agape love is proven by obedience to Christ. 2 John 1.6, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. We demonstrate our love to God by obeying his word. You need to read the Bible. You need to hear the word. You need to know what it says. But be not hearers only. Be doers. Obey his word. That's how we can show God the love that he's commanding and demanding from us. That is what qualifies us to serve. Is by our obedience. Are you walking in obedience? These are the questions that we need to really ask ourselves and look at our lives to make sure that we love God the way that we're supposed to love God. That we serve our church, that we're committed, and that we demonstrate this agape love. See, Jesus is speaking to you today, not to Peter. And he's asking you, do you love me more than these? You can fill in the these. Do you love me with agape love, choice, will? Do you love me with phileo love, heart, passion, desire? Do you love God with all that you have? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. My challenge to you today is if you are not right with God, that you get right. If you do not know God, today is the day. In the moment we're going to sing, and when we do, I invite you to come forward. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior and you would like to make that decision today, come forward. We'll take you aside. We'll show you what the Word has to say. We'll pray with you. We'd love to do that. If you need to get right with God, do that today as well. God wants our love. That's what he desires. We have a lot of needs, junior church, nursery, different areas. I don't need people just to fill the needs. I need people who love God and want to serve him. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your words. Thank you for the demonstration of your love. Help us to love you in the right way. Help us to be qualified to serve you. And then not only to be qualified, but to act and to serve. Help us to be the men and the women that you have purposed for us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.